Or imagine those who are on the fringe of society, those who find themselves thinking, do I really belong in God's house? And though they yearn to have a relationship with their God that's good, and though they yearn to gather with God's people, they feel that somehow they maybe don't deserve to join in worship because they've struggled with certain sins. That Jesus came to tear down every barrier, not just the barrier between Jew and non-Jew, but the barrier between all people and the barrier between them and their God. God welcomes me, a foreigner, an outsider, and gladly welcomes me and wants me to be joyfully in his family. The following is from Rock of Ages, Lutheran Church in Payson, Arizona. Reaching out with rock solid hope in Rim Country. November 3rd, 2019. Isaiah 56, 1-8. There was a movie series <clears throat> which came out just a couple years ago uh, that depicted society divided into several factions. At a certain point in your life, you were just assigned to a certain faction in society. And to be a divergent and to try to step outside of where you belonged was not only not permitted, it was dangerous. I think that this film actually had a pretty keen observation on human behavior. Because those factions were not getting along. And when someone belonged to one faction, they would look down on all the others that were outside of their own group. Doesn't the human heart have a tendency, don't we, to look at where we belong and decide where we belong and shut out others who don't? Of course, this feeling of rejection, this feeling of being on the outside can cause a lot of pain. Just ask anybody who's ever been left on the outside. And it happens more than just because of class discrimination, and it can also happen because of racial discrimination and many other things. Those who are made to feel outside the group, like they don't belong or they're not on par with those inside the tribe that belongs. Can this happen with those who gather for worship in God's house? What we see in Scripture is, yes, it, it has happened and it does happen. So how does God respond? When someone is yearning to be part of his family, to gather in his house, but is left feeling on the outside, like they don't belong. Well, this morning we see the answer as we look at God's Word in Isaiah chapter 56. And surely, yes, we, we see God did, in fact, discriminate among his people. He did create certain groups which were set for certain roles in society. Ancient Israel, in fact, had the priesthood established for the Levites. And the Levites were to be separate above their Israelite brothers in the sense that they were to serve in the temple. And meanwhile, the rest of the Israelites were looking out, outside the circle of the Levites, on those who served and worshipped in the temple. And God set up other barriers that foreigners, even those who converted to serve the Lord, and others were still further outside of that. And we see even further circles expanding outward until you see foreigners even further out, and of course, naturally, unbelievers were even further separated. But God did this for a purpose. He was teaching his people that they could not have access to him and his inner circle, that they could not approach a holy God without some sort of intercessor. 
And yet God never intended, certainly never intended, that this meant his grace was shut out to those who seeked him and sought after him. In fact, God, we see, shows concern for the foreigner, shows concern for the outcast, the widow. Those often overlooked by society were highly regarded and cared for in God's laws to ancient Israel, something you don't see often in ancient cultures. Nonetheless, Israel began to shut out others from the grace of their God, began to see with pride and arrogance themselves above all other people, and that they somehow had access to God, which others didn't deserve, and that they somehow deserved. So you can imagine the shock when they read what Isaiah says here. Isaiah says in chapter 55, Come, you who are thirsty, all of you, who want the water of life, come and take of my word. And his invitation goes out to take for free this gift, the love, the covenant promised to David. Now you can imagine when, when the Israelites heard this, they must have thought to themselves, yeah, God's telling all of us to, as children of Israel to come and take the promise given to David. It's our gift. It's for us. But imagine the shock when they read on and hear the Lord say, this is what the Lord says. That invitation to take his free gift of salvation, he says, my righteousness will be revealed. My salvation is close. For who? To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. That's who trust the Lord. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. The eunuchs were treated as foreigners and outsiders, but God says to them who choose to worship the Lord and who in faith hold to his word, yearning to be on the inside. God not only says they're invited to come in, he says, I'm going to give them something better than offspring, children of their own. I'm going to give them a name to be my children and to have access to my house and it's going to be an everlasting name. And to foreigners, to foreigners who hold fast to my covenant, he says, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Imagine when Israel heard that. That God is not only going to welcome eunuchs and foreigners and outsiders, but he's going to give them privilege and access to his very altar and his house and to serve and to find joy in serving him in his house. Permit me to take you back now to 1861. And that's when, obviously, racism was very prominent in our country. And at the start of the Civil War, you can imagine... Some people were hesitant to break down those barriers. At the time, the black population in the United States made about 14% of the men in the United States. And only 1% of that was in the North. At the start of the war, they didn't even allow the Union black men to enlist the free men in the North to serve. Of course, Abraham Lincoln soon rectified that. And enough within three months... Those who fought the most valiantly in a battle in Kansas proved a crucial turning point 
And it was that segregated, separate black unit which proved they wanted to fight and belonged. And, of course, if you look through the history of the whole war, it was those segregated black groups which actually were the most valiant and which often served a crucial role in the face of the Those who, yes, the, the Union soldiers allowed to fight, but initially had regarded as second-class soldiers, perhaps not capable of doing much. Now that might seem, from our perspective, like foolishness. And yes, racism is a little bit less prevalent than it was back then. But what about the way that people are treated in God's house? What about viewing and looking at those on the outside as if they couldn't really contribute or serve? You know, there were times, and not too many years back, when churches, Christian churches, were found to be in the inner part of cities, and their neighborhoods were changing. So what happened to many of those churches? Their numbers started to go down. And some of them, perhaps those in our circles serving in the, the wells, might have said to themselves perhaps, well, we're about traditional Lutheranism. We can't really serve these new groups that are coming into our community. They wouldn't really be interested. Some of those churches began to dwindle in number, not because their neighborhoods were shrinking, but because the people in their neighborhoods were of a different background, different culture, and different ethnic group. Or maybe some of them might have said, yeah, they can, they can be part of this church, but we know who's really in charge. It's the, the lifelong members. Sadly, this happened. And many churches closed, and many churches around the United States changed and lost their teaching, or were shutting their doors. And what about when someone becomes a, a member of a conservative Lutheran church? Whether they are of a different background, a different spiritual background, or perhaps have no spiritual background? Are they always treated and, and welcomed as those who belong? Or, or sometimes they remain to be simply the new guy. And no matter how long they're part of that church, they're always considered the new guy. So that the person who's been part of that church 20, 40, maybe even 80 years makes them feel like they're on the outside and don't really belong as much as they do and shouldn't really be in charge of the decisions as much as they should. What happens when someone is made to feel on the outside of God's house? Like they don't belong as much as others belong. It can happen. It has happened, and it does happen. Or imagine those who are on the fringe of society, those who find themselves thinking, do I really belong in God's house? And though they yearn to have a relationship with their God that's good, and though they yearn to gather with God's people, they feel that somehow they maybe don't deserve to join in worship because they've struggled with certain sins. Maybe they've struggled with addiction to drugs or alcohol. Or maybe they've struggled with same-sex attraction and that sin. Or maybe they've struggled with something else and they feel that they could never enter the Lord's house. They yearn to, they long to, but they're made to feel on the outside. Are those who stand on the outside sometimes richly and warmly welcomed or sometimes sort of welcomed? God, when he speaks to the Israelites here, is reminding them, not only will he welcome the outsider who yearns to have a relationship, who yearns to worship the Lord God, 
but he will gladly welcome them into his house. And not only will he gladly welcome them into his house, they will find joy in serving at his altar and in his house in a way that would shock the Israelites. Can you imagine years later when the Apostle Philip is meeting with a man who is both a eunuch and a foreigner and who yearns to worship the Lord? That man was reading this very section of Scripture and opened up to Isaiah 53, reading a portion of Jesus, the suffering servant. Can you imagine his joy when he hears Philip, the apostle, tell him that Jesus came to tear down every barrier, not just the barrier between Jew and non-Jew, but the barrier between all people and the barrier between them and their God. And imagine how, if that eunuch would have kept on reading, that foreigner, if he would have read this chapter, God welcomes me, a foreigner, an outsider, and gladly welcomes me and wants me to be joyfully in his family. And imagine how he felt when he was baptized and he's told, God has given you a name, his name, a name better than sons and daughters, but a lasting eternal name and part of his kingdom, a position held by God's grace. Isn't that what Israel had missed out on? They did not deserve to be in the inner circle in God's house. You and I do not deserve to be in the inner circle, but by his grace, God has done it. After all, isn't that what it says here? God, as he speaks to us about his mission for his people, says, I will bring to my holy mountain. I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. Just as God gathered in ancient Israel, the foreigners and outsiders has gathered you and me into his house. And Jesus, the Son of God, has torn every barrier down. When that temple curtain was torn in half, symbolizing the division between God and his people, all division between sin and us and our God was gone. Because Jesus bore that sin for his people, for you for the person that's still on the outside yearning to be in, for those who hold fast to his covenant. God gathers them. And he gathers them and us so that we can serve him in joy in his kingdom. You know what happened for those churches, including our own Wells churches that saw things this way? Though they were in the inner city and the neighborhoods around them started changing, and the ethnic groups around them were different from their own. Those who embraced this saw those communities joining them in joy and serving the Lord, joining them and producing fruit as they worshiped the Lord too in gladness because they were free, because they knew what Jesus had done, tearing the barriers of sin down. And they knew they had a name with God's people. And that's what happens. We see it happening in our mission fields. Would God ever allow or think that people would be interested in the gospel in a place like India where there's multiple gods that are worshipped? He does. Or what about places like Vietnam? He does. And that's why we have missionaries and even seminaries there training others that they can serve as pastors and teachers in the kingdom of our God. And who would ever think that a place like China, so foreign to our mindset, their culture, and their way of life. Would God ever want to spread his gospel of by grace alone, through faith alone? Would he ever want that to spread there? He does. And he has, 
even as our church body supports the training of pastors and teachers in such a place. Or places not so far away, but so foreign sometimes. It was only a handful of generations ago that the name of the Lord was unknown in Apache land. What has God done there? I invite you to stick around later today to, to hear the wonders of what God has done as he brought in those who were on the outside to know his goodness and to be part of his kingdom and to serve him along with those in our church body in joy. God does this. He sets free so that we can serve him in joy. And he gathers us to worship. You know, when you look at the Civil War, it's kind of interesting that General Lee, the commander in the South, eventually was able to persuade them to allow the black population to enlist and serve in the Southern Army. And by doing so, they could win their freedom. Not surprisingly, only about 40 actually enlisted. Apparently, enlisting to help your oppressors and to fight for your freedom isn't as appealing as serving the one who has set you free and who by his grace has made you his own and considered you valuable in his sight. That's what our God has done for us. He has gathered us to this place to worship him. He has done it by his grace and he wants us to get his word to every place. Let no one Stand outside looking in. Amen. Amen.